Happy Tag Tuesday. I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. This is Two Average Girls. Did you hear how I just said Cooper? You really hung it out there. A I was bit. like a cheer. It was like C O O P E R. Well, that's Cooper. That's, that's something we haven't done before. <laughs> I just did. Bringing a new cheer to the to the pod. I really am taking it back to freshman year at Nova High School. Is What's that, up, you a cheerleader? I was a cheerleader ninth grade and then realized that it was a bad decision on my part. So I didn't do it again. Yeah. You know, when people talk about cheerleaders, I was a cheerleader and everyone was like, yeah, that's not a surprise because I'm somewhat of a, I'm kind of a cheerleader in, in real life a little bit. I would people. agree with that. <laughs> I, I'm pretty enthusiastic. I'm annoyingly enthusiastic to some. Hmm. Yes, I can be. But in my defense, when I was a cheerleader, I just wanted to be a cheerleader so bad. Yeah. But my dad didn't want me to be. Oh. So, just because it's like low end or you can do better than that? Or what was the reason? Oh, no. He didn't think I could do better than that. Oh. That wasn't it. <laughs> oh, no. There was no Denise could do better. They, there was none of that. There was, the bar was, oh. he, the bar was high for me and I never attained that height of the bar. There's oh. just no way. That's right. He wanted you to go to business school or something, right? Or He wanted me to be an accountant. Accountant. That's what it was. Can I just please tell you, everybody listening out there, any accountant, I love you because I need you in my business, but I'd rather put, put a pencil in my eyeballs before no. I'd want to do that. I cannot do it. I'm not that person. No, it's a specific person. That's not I'm not Denise. the behind the desk, mm -mm. crunching some numbers, mm -mm. balancing my checkbook. That's not me. Anyway, I digress a little bit. But when I was a when I was a, in I was a cheerleader in high school, but I wasn't the one that flip around. No, no, of course not. And I wasn't a song leader. That was kind of the really cool girls were oh. the song leaders. They're not more cooler than the cheerleaders, but they were more talented because they oh. were dancing around and that kind of stuff. Okay, I'm not super coordinated. Oh, really? I'm not uncoordinated. It takes me a long time to learn a, a routine. Oh, I'm right there with you. If somebody is like going step forward, back, da 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 da, yeah. da turn, turn, you're learning a dance routine or something, <laughs> you're going to have to like break it down and let's go real slow. Well, and don't use words like step ball chain, grapevine, like tell me what I need to do. See, I like the <laughs> step ball chain. I like that. I don't mind that, but yeah. it'll take me... 50 times compared to, to someone who will yeah. do it twice. I couldn't agree more. Same way. I'm a little bit lame. So yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. I wasn't a flipper. I wasn't on the mm -mm. top of the stack. Well, we didn't do that kind of advanced cheerleading at Nova High School. We didn't do it at Orange High School either. Yeah. But I'm just saying, when you talk about cheerleaders, I was, you know, ponytail, saddle shoes, got the whole <gasps> thing going on. So cute. Yes. I don't know if I've shared this experience on this podcast before, but I'm going to share it again. Oh, wow. We had this very talented a girl uh, who was made to be a cheerleader her name was Heidi Parker what's up Heidi uh from Reading and she was like our main she was the main cheerleader in our group she was a head cheerleader I guess we weren't were you ever a head cheerleader no we were never assigned anything I was a like head that. cheerleader during Ooh. basketball season one of the during that time I'm I'm in, I'm in awe I know I just that's why I'm bringing it up I just wanted you to be impressed <laughs> I need to clarify that I went to ninth grade at a ninth grade only high school <laughs> 
This is this why is, is that the founding fathers of Shasta County ninth ninth grade only? So like they had to segregate throughout you? the county. There were probably let's just say four or five high schools. Sure, that it's not complicated. They were divvied up geographically. For whatever reason, ninth grade all came to a central high school in downtown Reading called Nova High School. In 10th through 12th grade, everyone went back to their prospective high schools. Really? Yes. It was the dumbest thing. It was a massive amount of students in the ninth grade. That seems like a failure, too. It for, no for longer integration, exists. For, yeah. yeah. For just, like, getting kids whatever. Bussing. You know, doing whatever. So, I, I just want to make that clarification because I graduated from Shasta High School wolf pack <laughs> she's making a sign like a gang sign right it's now. it's a w wolf pack forever <laughs> i don't even i can't even oh i can there you go wolf pack forever baby you oh, cross yeah. those two middle fingers and then you got yourself a w wolf pack um so i just needed to clarify that my real high school was shasta high school but i go to nova high school they had so many students that we had three basketball teams and three wow. three football teams we all played like each other sure so there was the white squad the purple squad and the gold squad and i was on the white squad basketball team that was that was who i cheered for back to heidi parker who was our main gal she knew everything there was to know about cheerleading and she was the one that choreographed and put together our halftime cheer Wow! where we just knocked it out of the park <laughs> and did our halftime cheer to billy squires the stroke oh stroke me stroke me yeah that was it Ooh. not really appropriate for 14 year olds <laughs> but you didn't know because you i didn't had even no know idea. what that meant i didn't know what it meant yeah however my brothers who are five <laughs> and eight years older than me were in the audience <laughs> and your dad and mom were dying dad and mom i don't think were as hip to what it meant as my brothers <laughs> who could not get over it they were like what what you allowed this mom and dad well then they call me over after we're done and they're like what 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 are you doing? And You're I'm like, like, I don't know. That's just what Heidi Parker told us that we were going to. And it's a it's a Billy Squire song. And they were like, N -n uh, they couldn't. They couldn't. <laughs> there you go. That's my cheerleading story. You're welcome. You're. That's <laughs> that's not even. I, I don't even know how we got on this. How did we start talking about I cheerleading? I don't know. But we have been talking about doing this podcast in oh. particular for months. Literally since when the beginning of time. So when since it, it happened. happened, which was in November. November um and I think everybody's at 20, least of 2022 of 2022 everyone's at least peripherally aware of the four murders in Idaho of mm -hmm. those sweet students University of Idaho Moscow um students who were found murdered in their apartment home uh we heard about it like everyone else did and we've mentioned it a couple times on the podcast just saying things like Wow, the the police force isn't really doing what they should be doing. This, that, and the other. Really not just sort of like Monday morning quarterbacking it, which is not a great idea. Because now things have transpired and you're like, oh, that's why the police mm -hmm. were saying this. Oh, that's why. It's, we do a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking. We really should not. We really should. <laughs> well, and, and one of the things that, I don't know about you, but when I first heard about it, I saw stuff on Instagram that mm -hmm. other students, because I follow a lot of young women that have that were I was that I was working with during my time at church as a young women's president and one of them went to Idaho uh she's in Boise in Boise yeah yeah 
And I thought that was the place that it happened. Because I'd never heard of the school in Moscow. I, I never had heard of the difference. But yeah, it, it's not know. too far away, but it didn't matter. Idaho is a close-knit community, a state community, I would say. Because sure. it is filled with hardworking people, lots of farmlands, salt of the earth kind of things where it's very religious group of people. A lot of LDS people live there. It's not necessarily in any of these communities is that the main group of people but i think that it brings together a group of people who are Mm god-fearing who feel safe Mm -hmm. one of the reasons they live there one of the reasons these kids were going to this college was because they felt like it was a hometown yeah when you go to college away you went to byu i went to the university of san diego not exactly a hometown feel, but mm. you become part of that community. Yes. You become part of the landscape of everything that is going on there, and it becomes your life. Mm-hmm. And these kids in Moscow, when I heard about this, the first thing I heard was other kids feeling terrible and sad mm-hmm. and scared and leaving yep. to go home yep. for for Thanksgiving break early. And not coming back. A lot of them did not come back. Well, let me ask you this. If you had a kid that experienced that. I wouldn't probably send him back. I wouldn't let him come back. Well, and let's just go, let's just start right into it. When we have talked about this, and this is part of what our Monday morning quarterbacking was, which was when the police came out, I saw that press conference. And Mm -hmm. one of the first things that they said was, this, no need to be worried. (laughs) We don't believe that you are in danger. There's no threat to the community. There's no threat to the community. Which And is... I was like, what? There's four kids that were brutally murdered. So much so, one of the very first things that I saw was a picture of their house, mm-hmm. crime scene tape, and on the side of the basement, basically on the side of the wall, you could see blood mm-hmm. dripping down the side. That brutal, The murders were so brutal and so much blood, so much contamination inside that we found out. Mm-hmm. That it was horrific for them to have said, there's no need to worry. Mm-hmm. You're all safe. I think that discredited them from the beginning. Because the next question was from the press, do you have someone that you're looking at? Do you have someone in custody? And the answer was either no or we're not at liberty to talk about that, which means no. They also said that they didn't believe that this was a targeted event. Which... It's- contradicted them, themselves in all things to me if it's a targeted event that would be safer for the community because yeah. they were looking at particular people you're right and this they said no it started rough it, it was started rough with that police department i'm sorry to the moscow police it was not an easy thing for them to wrap their arms around because they hadn't experienced anything even close to this well the last homicide that they had was seven years before this and it wasn't something like this no this wasn't a i mean i believe the last homicide was something to do with a drug deal gone wrong or some kind of domestic violence of some sort the kind of thing that you see unfortunately we see it a lot in our in our society but this was a brutal murder Mm -hmm. and when they said it wasn't targeted my first thought was oh it had to be targeted yeah, when you've got four people that are dead and two still living in the house, there's an issue. Yes. So, so we, we want to talk a little bit about it in that we've listened to a ton of podcasts. We've watched a lot of Dateline and all kinds of different things on TV about it. And there's a lot of information out there, um, which is all good and, and for the most part, fairly accurate. 
what we wanted to do was not so much dumb it down, but simplify it. Yes. And give a timeline, give some highs and lows as far as here's the thing that we think is interesting and maybe you'll think it's interesting too. Questions we asked that we finally dug around and got some answers to. So we're going to, we're just going to kind of approach the scene that way. I need to start though with <laughs> apologizing to you, Denise, for not knowing the, what the term affidavit meant. Now, an affidavit was... Um, produced i don't know how many weeks back uh which is what enabled the police to actually arrest brian koberger okay so as we were talking um about the affidavit your daughter jack jack has read the affidavit mm -hmm. we know several people who have read the affidavit mm -hmm. it's something like 14 pages long um a lot of legalese a lot of it's redacted which means it's blacked out you can't see the actual injuries that happened to the kids great don't i don't necessarily need to know just give me a general thing but then denise says so what exactly is an affidavit and i was like oh uh well let's see as someone i thought i thought her being the reporter that she is right. and having reported on different cases over the years she would have a a definition for me a concise answer for you yes no an I intelligent concise answer <laughs> here's the thing sometimes i'll ask my husband how to get front to somewhere like well, how do i get there you need me to go pick this up okay how do i get there and he'll start with go north down tustin avenue <laughs> and then take the first left turn which is going to take you east you're going to go east all the way till you see the arby's and it's going to be behind the arby's don't give me explanations like north south east and west right. if you want me to get somewhere tell me that it's you go a song and a half past the mall turn left that's where <laughs> you're it's gonna, gonna be. see nordstrom's on your left got I, it see like nordstrom's is my two north <laughs> so if, if i'm yeah. going anywhere i'm like okay where is this in relationship to the closest nordstrom <laughs> everyone just needs to know that so the term affidavit is i can't explain it even though I know what it is. This is what I was trying to tell Denise, you know, early. I'm like, sorry, it's a this, it's a that, the other. I finally went online and got an actual <laughs> definition. May I give you that definition Please. right now? Okay. Give me the definition. Okay. An affidavit is a written statement made under oath that is typically used in legal proceedings. The purpose of an affidavit is to formally legitimize a claim. These legal documents are used in conjunction with witness statements or related evidence in a dispute or a crime for an affidavit to be valid the person who signs it must be personally aware of the facts within the affidavit and they must take on an oath that they are 100% with honest within the affidavit so basically what that means and I'm sorry I'm explaining this to our audience who probably knows very well what an affidavit is the district attorney's office wrote up all of the information that they had this is coming from various police departments that were on the scene the FBI witness accounts Anyone who had information regarding that scene, that crime, the district attorney's office wrote up the affidavit. It was then signed by a judge who is the person who is like, yes, I understand what all of this means. Okay. Signed by the judge. And then they were able to issue an arrest warrant. We were driving to Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. We were listening 10 to Life. Mm -hmm. She's got great coverage on this. So much coverage that I can't watch it all. This is, there's a an appetite for this type of thing. And what I'm hoping will happen is because we all are expecting the police, they're not going to be perfect. No. But we're holding them to a standard of, you better have some processes in place. Mm -hmm. For example, when all of this first started happening, you and I had a conversation on air about the fact that they were bumbling. 
That was right. me. That I'm was sorry. You. That was me. You were bump. They were bumbling because yeah. they were not, and and we didn't know at the time because we weren't really deep into it. But we would have probably found out what other groups of people were already involved immediately. You mean like the FBI? Well, they went to the state first, right? <laughs> yeah, Idaho State Police yeah. started getting involved, right? Which we we didn't know at the time. No, but they asked them. But all in all, Moscow Police were the lead. But they did ask for help. They mm. went to the FBI. The FBI brought in people. I don't remember the exact amount of people that worked on this, but it was close to 100 people. Well, the FBI alone offered 22 of their staff That's members. That's correct. Which so, is huge. And we know that the state police offered more than that. Mm -hmm. And then they had at least 15 to 20 Moscow detectives, police. Every single person that was available was, was on this case. Was on this case. Because they knew that the eyes were on them. And mm. they also felt this... I truly believe that this community felt like these police officers and everybody with the Moscow police felt like they had a duty to this fa these families and their community to get answers as soon as possible. Yeah, and it's very difficult when you, you aren't trained to get the answers. I have to say, though, I you and I both know a very high-ranking police officer mm -hmm. on the island of Kauai. And um, the amount of... Uh, training <laughs> you're good no I just want you to feel free to let that ice flow <laughs> the amount of training that his officers alone it doesn't get any smaller than Kauai mm -hmm. his officers alone have hours and hours every year that they have to go through sensitivity training this kind of training that kind of training especially with the advent of uh, Black Lives Matter and all of those social what's the word Social issues. I guess social issues. I mean, I wanted to call it something bigger than that because it feels much heavier. But when things like that sort of come to light and shed a light on here, the problems that we have within this institution, the police forces have stepped up and said, all right, we need more training. We need to figure out how to de-escalate a situation, sure. just as an example. Rather than shooting someone, can we de-escalate? You know, there's all these th processes in place. Like I said, it doesn't get much smaller than the island of Kauai. So I'm guessing that even in Moscow, Idaho, they were trained and they were at least trying to train. But I think this was so beyond their purview they didn't even know where to begin, which is then why they call in the state, the FBI, and my hat's off to them for doing well, that, I truly. Think, I think one of the things that were probably very evident right away was this is huge. I yeah. mean, we have four murdered, stabbed, and we haven't even heard. In the affidavit, like you said, they redacted a bunch of information. Yeah. Most of that information was sensitive information that would be specific to the killer. They didn't want the killer to know what they knew specifically, right? Because... Even though it's out there, at the time that they were writing this up, they hadn't arrested them yet. He, they couldn't let any of this sensitive information go get out because the only person who knew other than them was the killer themselves. Okay. Right? We need to have this information kept secret. Right. Okay? But they redacted all of that information. And that information was really what led them to believe that we're dealing with something big. Mm -hmm. I mean, this isn't like he went in there, shot them four times, four people, four times in the head and left. Mm -hmm. This was a brutal. Yeah, it was bad. Terrible murder. Mm -hmm. I think that the police at this point now, like you said, we are at a place in time where everybody has the ability to be their own detectives. Mm -hmm. Got that computer right there. That doesn't make you a detective. I believe <laughs> that the detectives at the time, from the time that this murder happened and until the time they had this man in custody, 
was only two and a half weeks. It wasn't as long as everybody felt like it was. These families felt like it was forever, and I totally understand why. Oh, I get it. I would want answers. I think what this pointed out to the most to me wasn't the fact that they weren't doing their work mm-hmm. was the fact that they didn't know how to communicate there needs to be a public information officer there is <laughs> that has sorry. that literally knows what to do and say i don't know well. was there a public information officer all i saw was the the chief the deputy chief i saw and... the chief i saw i saw other people speaking under there the sergeant under there that yeah. was leading the pack and sometimes they had conflicting information going out or I don't know. I've never heard that before. Let's move on to some of the the timeline issues. Let's do that. Which is what we're here for. Um, All right. This is the information that I'm going to be using. I don't know if it's the same information you're using. Is from um, CNN Mm -hmm. and from People Magazine, which they have a great investigative arm. If you guys are ever interested in finding something short, sweet, to the point, People Magazine online um, does a great job. But they took the affidavit and they broke it down. And basically put it into people words rather than lawyer words, which I appreciate. And almost like a Cliff Notes version. Very short, concise. It's great. So we go back to August 21st of, of uh, 2022, mm-hmm. where Brian Koberger's cell phone was found in the vicinity of the home where the killings took place. So they were able to go back They after they arrested him took his cell phone records and found that he had pinged somewhere near the King Road home um, 12, at least 12 times, if not more, prior to the November 13th murders. Well, and that's important because as they are building this case about premeditation, right. about was this targeted, right. did, is there a reason why he picked him? He, did he wake up that day and say, I'm going to murder four people. I'm going to just pick, that house looks like a good idea. It's never locked. It's never locked. Which, again, <laughs> if you're in any campus, I was. we were talking about this before, I was in college. I never locked my door. Mm-mm. Why would you lock your door? Or you went to a fraternity house or you went to a sorority house or in an apartment building where all your friends were. It was free for all. Always. You could open that door at any time. And walk in. Oh, and get food, get drinks, whatever you needed. Play, use the computer, whatever it was that you needed. And it sounds like this house on King Road was that yes. house for real. People gathered there a lot. There was a lot of parties happening there. And so there was sort of this feel of doors always open, you know, kind of always come on in. Now, the thing that's important, though, about his phone pinging near King Road all of those times, the 12 plus times, was that on every single occasion except for one the pings happened either very late in the evening or in the early morning hours so he was he was not just out running an errand he was stalking yes yeah and his house his home was only about four miles i believe away is Mm -hmm. that correct Mm -hmm. it was a cross state line right however it was in washington it was in washington Mm -hmm. but there would not be really any reason for him just to be on King's Road. No. He could be in Moscow, Idaho, which is where a lot of people from his university, where he went to school, mm-hmm. would come over to eat. There was a, a big scene there yeah. in Moscow because right. it was a college town. So that would be, you know, if they're going to talk about it like, oh, no, he was just running an errand. Right. That's not really it. I, I do know that on August 21st, 2022, Koberger's cell phone was in the vicinity of the home approximately at 1034 p.m. At 1135, to 1135, at 1137, he was stopped by the Latha police, the county sheriff's deputy, while driving a white Hyundai Elantra, and the affidavit alleges the same vehicle that was taken mm-hmm. into custody mm-hmm. that he was driving. So he was pulled over. 
in that car. In that car. Um, this is a part that gets me. Okay, so I the first thing I thought of when this guy was arrested and it was like, okay, so it was kind of targeted. There was this whole connection between these beautiful young people and Brian Koberger. How did he, my question was, how did he know them? Did he know them? Mm-hmm. Was there an interaction? How do, what do we know? Well, okay, here's what we know. He's a vegan. He was a vegan. He still. He, he was? Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, his parents also petitioned the jail that he's being held oh, in gosh. to get him vegan meals. Oh, him and that other guy that, yeah. oh my god! I'm just saying, no judgment, whatever. I'm, Actually, I'm all judging. The, all the judgments. I'm judging. I'm sorry. You're going to go to jail. You're going to eat what they serve you. <laughs> That's part of your punishment. <laughs> it just kind of is. You look at his skin though, and it's like, ooh, he needs a chicken. He needs to have like a hot wing or something. Well, here's the thing about him. And I don't know if this is the direction you're going in. But if you go back to when he was a child and they they have gone through the timeline of him. He was an awkward child who was overweight. Oh, he was? He was very overweight. And they show him and and they found out he was a heroin heroin addict at some point. Fun. And so they show a, a progression of him losing weight. But at the same time, we know he was on drugs. Oh, that's great. So I'm just saying his skin... Who knows? Maybe he was on drugs maybe. at the same time. As, well, yeah, as, we don't know. Yeah. So my my immediate interest is how does he know these people? Because in my mind, I was like, it was those two blonde girls that were targeted. Yeah. Well, it turns out that he had messaged them in October of 2022. He had messaged them on Instagram. One of the victims doesn't say which one. In late October, an account that authorities believe belonged to Brian Koberger sent a greeting to one of the female victims. Uh, when he didn't get a reply, he continued sending her messages. Right. Okay. So this is a quote from People Magazine. He slid into one of the girls' DMs, <laughs> which I love that phrase. Me too. Uh, several times, but she didn't respond. Basically, it was just him saying, hey, how are you? But he did it again and again and again. Authorities have not said if the victims knew Koberger, but the suspects now deleted Instagram account, which was reviewed by people before it was actually removed, followed the accounts of the three girls who yes. were murdered. So yes. he was following them. Now, also... We know that there's a restaurant in Moscow called the Mad Greek yep. and that Koberger ate at that restaurant. Okay, so we know that Maddie and Zana both worked at the Mad Greek and that Koberger did eat there. So there, there is that connection. At least we know sort of how he could identify them, how he knew who they were. And I, I think there's speculation, but I think it's probably pretty good. Whenever these kind of things happen, these mass murders with a, a single white male, we usually... There's a lot of similarities with these men and their type, yeah. which are a lot of times there are usually men who have, they struggle with women. <sighs> they usually have some kind of issues where they're being rejected or they're having problems in relationships in general. Yeah, that's true. And we know from a lot of the, in, uh, a lot of the interviews that we've heard from a lot of people are coming out of the woodwork, of course, right? Of course, yeah. He was a criminology major. Yeah. And his... People in his schools, and he, he was a he was a graduate. TA. Yeah, he was a graduate he, student. Graduate student. Yeah, do, pursuing the next level of of his education. We know from those people they've said many a times he always had to be the smartest one in the room. Ugh. He always kind of put you talked down to you, put you in your place. Thank you. He would even do that to other female instructors. Sure. 
maybe males as well, but we I know that I have heard that it was female instructors. I think it's fair to say that he had a problem dating and yeah. he had a problem with women. Right. And this would fit the characteristics of this kind of guy when he's looking for victims. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Instagram being ignored. Yeah. We don't know what the interaction at the Mad Greek was. Right. He could have easily gone in there and what people said often about him was he he was awkward Mm -hmm. and inappropriate yes yeah so he might have gone in there and been inappropriate with these girls Mm -hmm. now if you're a woman most women know how it is with men i've had many a interaction with men who i thought was inappropriate this girl these girls were beautiful Mm -hmm. this is not the first second or 50th time that they were hit on Mm -mm. or that they were you know people went after them because they they sought after them. You never think, though, that he's going to appear weeks and months later with a knife at your house. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, we don't ever know, but I'm just saying that this fits the profile of somebody. And they're going to put the, these profilers. And when we're talking about all the different entities, and you were talking about the 22 FBI people, what we do know is that they had specialists mm-hmm. from all areas mm-hmm. helping them find out what kind of guy this was. And there's no... There's no coincidence that he's the guy. Oh, no. Those FBI profilers don't miss a trick. They know exactly so who this guy is. Yeah, So they, fascinating. They knew. They knew. So um, then we fast forward to November the 13th, which is which was a Sunday, um, when they were found stabbed to death, the four, the four students, Maddie, Kaylee, Zana, and Ethan. They were found dead in their off-campus apartment. Um, knife attack of course as as we said now according to probable cause which this was in the affidavit authorities believe that the killings took place get this between 4 and 4:25 a.m. 25 minutes to disable four people one of which is a man I know. I, he was out of his mind it's four o'clock in the morning we know for a fact that they were active on social media and we know some of the interactions that all four of these victims had with each other and with outside people mm-hmm. because of text messages, because of uh, TikTok. I am in awe being part of the the technological age that we are in right now because mm-hmm. we didn't grow up with it. These kids who grew up, even my son, right. who kind of grew up with cell phones and social media and all that, they don't think twice about it. I, however, go... Look at the footprint that you're leaving. I mean, that's that's both amazing and terrifying. But the good news is when something like this happens, they can go without a shadow of a doubt. This person was alive at this time because we know that she was on the TikTok or she was doing whatever she was doing. And then that stopped. And then we know this happened. And this happened according to your cell phone footprint, which is such a great thing. Not only that, they because we have surveillance and oh, video yeah. Yeah. everywhere mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. and a lot of people you know there's this whole thing about we need to be private the government big government's <laughs> big brother, watching yeah. us big brothers <laughs> watching us well i'll guarantee you if i'm a family member of these girls i am so grateful yeah. that at the food truck oh the food truck that video at the food truck yes after spending several hours at a fraternity party in the morning, early morning, they go to a food truck. It was just the two girls, right? It was just, just Kaylee the, and Maddie. Uh-huh. Kaylee yeah. and Maddie, who are best friends. Mm-hmm. And this is the beautiful part of this whole thing, which is these girls, those two girls in particular, have been friends since they were little girls. Mm-hmm. Their surveillance, that they the video shows that um, they had literally been at 
the food trucks and you can even hear them speaking. They're talking, yeah. Mm -hmm. You can hear who they're talking to. Mm -hmm. Now, this is where I got frustrated with the sleuths, the internet sleuths, because they took that, they heard them talking to a a guy at the food truck. The hoodie guy? or the, Yes, the um, hoodie guy. Yeah. And they start talking about how he's a suspect. Well, he was for I know a while. he was. <laughs> but they took it and ran with it. Yeah. And that poor guy. He was just they had, the, the, the Moscow police had to come out and say, leave these people alone. Mm -hmm. Leave these poor people alone. Yeah. You can't do that. No. You can speculate on these forums. And you can put it out there for all your other sleuthy people. But when you start putting it out to public domain and right. accusing people and giving out addresses of these people and personal information, Instagram yeah. accounts and things, stop. Yeah. That's going above and beyond. Yeah, it steps over the line. So going back to the actual day of um, the, the murders, as I said, Somewhere between 4 a.m. and 4.25 a.m. is when all of these murders took place. So at 4 a.m., they know what was happening in that house. One of the victims, Zana, received a DoorDash delivery at the, at the house on King Road, according to investigators. At about that same time, another occupant of the house was awakened by what she thinks is an upstairs roommate playing with her dog. And that's what that's the statement that she that she gave police. That that roommate was one that lived she wasn't a victim. Yes, the, she, the person who, who's reporting this. But yeah. the important thing is Maddie had a dog. Right. And that was above her. So right. that makes sense. So we know Maddie mm -hmm. and Kaylee were probably awake mm -hmm. doing Playing their thing. with the dog. We also know that Maddie was text, text, texting an ex-boyfriend. Right. To get him to come over. Yeah, she was trying to get him to come over. Mm -hmm. Not com not out of the realm of being in college at 4 a.m. That's Drun what you did. Drunk texting <laughs> is not did. recommended i i i i hate to say this but i know that i ha i would have done that if i was if we had cell phones we was. talked about this i'm so glad there was no social media there was no there's no trace of my bad behavior i can't it's just in my memory bank what i would have behaved like if that had been available to me you would have been like everybody else well a yeah. dumb dumb girl and, but then there would have been a record of it exactly. i was a dumb dumb girl exactly we know that maddie had texted her boyfriend Yes. The thing is, Maddie was not supposed to be in that house that night. No, she wasn't. That was the part. Everyone thought that Maddie and um, Kaylee lived together, which they did. But recently, within months before that, Maddie moved out because she was graduating and she was moving on. She was actually, she had broken up with a boyfriend because she needed some space because she was going on to the next thing in her life. Mm -hmm. Right? So she was back that weekend to visit her friends and to spend the night, she wasn't supposed to be there. And she didn't even live there anymore. She didn't live there. I know. If she would have just not been there. And Ethan also. He didn't live there either. He didn't live there either. No. At the beginning, we thought that he lived in that yeah. apartment. Yeah. He did not. No. He was spending the night, which probably happened quite a bit. Mm -hmm. But it, what if he wasn't there that night? I know. So um, that's 4 a.m. that we know that the mm -hmm. DoorDash was delivered at 4.04. Video shows the Elantra returning to the area for the fourth time at one point and this speaks to my heart it made a three-point turn mm -hmm. in the road a three-point you couldn't just whip that thing around it's got an elantra so i'm just saying i don't know the turning <laughs> radius on that but apparently between the driver and the actual wheelbase he just couldn't he make just it happen. couldn't make it a three-point turn okay so then at 412 we know that Zana uses her TikTok app on her phone. That's what her phone record su suggests. The downstairs roommate, however, is also awake. 
And sometime shortly after 4 a.m., she told investigators that she heard a sound like crying coming from Zana's room. When she opens her door, her own room door, she hears a male voice telling someone something to the effect of, it's okay, I'm going to help you. And there is speculation here. Let's go through all the scenarios. It's okay, I'm going to help you. Could have been Ethan's voice. She did not rule out that she it couldn't be Ethan's. Mm. They they know that it could have been Ethan's voice. Again, being under the influence of alcohol sometimes makes you a little emotional. And what there's a lot of times there's speculation that maybe they were kind of squabbling or in a fight of some sort. Mm. That it could be because as we start going through the timeline, it would that would make more sense than already somebody is now in the home upstairs. Right. Your brain can't compute that. No. No. So this right. is just another Saturday night. It's Sunday morning. It's literally <laughs> it's 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. DoorDash just arrived. A right. dog's playing upstairs. We're drunk. Yeah, stuff's or happening. whatever. This is just another Saturday night. Stuff's happening in the we're house. We're not paying attention. And no. we're also 20-something years old. At 417, a security camera from a nearby resident picks up a distorted audio of what sounds like a whimper. Mm -hmm. This is amazing to me that it's from a nearby residence and you can hear whimpering. Yeah. Then a loud thud. This is coming from the neighbor's security. This isn't even their own. A dog can be heard barking numerous times. And at some point, exactly when it's still not clear, one of the roommates, the surviving roommate, opens her bedroom door again. And according to the account she gave investigators, she sees a man with, quote, bushy eyebrows clad in black clothing and a mask. The man walks past her towards a sliding glass door on the second floor. She goes back in her room, shuts and locks the door. And it's unclear what she does during the next several hours because she didn't call police until sometime around 11 a.m. That's the part. And again, I've not been in her shoes. I'm not part of this. I don't know how I would react. Again, did she actually, was she under the influence of yeah. something stronger than drugs? Just, you think so? It was drugs. I think she was on drugs and I think she had drugs in the apartment. Could be. And I, it, it listen, could. that's just me philosophizing there's mm -hmm. no fact in that at all and they shouldn't they they have not come out with what it, this girl has taken a lot of heat on the internet that that young lady because it was like wait what were you doing right. you saw a stranger in your house there are noises that you can't account to and it's you didn't do anything drugs she's on drugs. on top of the fact that people do come and go out of there all the time but this guy's wearing a full mask with black on she also could not in her defense she could not have imagined what had happened in the other rooms of that house she couldn't have imagined it it what did that your brain can't imagine it yes if you guys go down the rabbit hole of really investigating the timeline it's very interesting because i can't even remember if when she saw him he left mm-hmm which I think he did. He so walked out already, the sliding glass He's door. already made, killed he four killed people. He killed everybody, yeah. There's different ways of getting in and out of the house. Mm -hmm. Why did he choose to start from the top and go to the middle instead of the bottom? I don't know. Like all well, of these questions. I think he knew where, where were. Maddie and, and Kaylee were. I don't know what Zana and Ethan had to do with this whole thing because I maybe Zana was maybe Zana was something that he because she also worked at the Mad Greek maybe she was targeted but the minute there's another man in the mix all bets are off some of the things that the affidavit talks about and I haven't read the whole thing but some of the things the affidavit talks about is the defensive wounds on these people 
and the amount of wounds that are on these people. Mm -hmm. And it cannot be confirmed, so it's speculation. But we also need to remind you of this. He turned his phone off during this time. Yes, he did. So we we know when he had been stalking the home in August. Right. And and from that time on, from the time of August to the time of the murders, Mm -hmm. we know where he was at all times because Mm -hmm. the FBI has taken those cell phone towers and analyzed it to the nth degree they know exactly every bit when he was at school when he wasn't at school when his phone his phone never turned off except for except for during the times of the murder that's right so his defense will be something to the effect of well you can't prove that he was there because you don't have cell phone towers to me the reverse of that tells the story that's exactly right it tells the story so he but he does he turns his phone back on so we know that at 448 his phone pings again Mm -hmm. it and it's near blaine idaho so Mm -hmm. he had the phone with him he just had it turned off and then while he's driving away he turns it on is that what we think happened that's exactly what we think happens yeah turn the damn phone off for the whole day yeah yeah turn it off other times as well as well yeah but he i believe truly that he believed he was smarter than everybody else yeah he might have considered the fact that moscow police were not sophisticated sophisticated and let's go to another timeline Mm -hmm. in the summer before these murders he applied to do an internship at the moscow police department which makes complete sense those guys always want to get in with the cops they always want to be in with the cops and see how they do their thing and and learn from the cops it's it should be a red flag anybody who applies well if you (laughs) are a criminology major and you really want to go into law enforcement and you want to be a csi or maybe you want to go into a three-letter agency like Mm -hmm. the fbi Mm -hmm. that would be a good thing to do oh no it's not out of the realm of reality you should do that you need to do that you should do that but this guy in particular, now that we are working backwards. Now that we know. Now that we know. How terrible. It just paints a picture of a man who probably was trying to get in on the action. Yep. Maybe even to know that he was going to at some point commit a horrific murder. Mm. And maybe to help him c- cover it up. Yeah. Like a who? Well, I'm I'm a cop or I, I'm an intern here over at the police state. I would never. Or maybe he would even take it so far as to hide evidence. Sure. Or be on the inside where he could manipulate yeah. things. He's got access to stuff. Access. But that never happened, thank goodness. So at 5.30 a.m., after traveling in the area of South Moscow, Koberger's phone is detected back in Pullman, okay. which is where he lives. Okay. At 9.12 a.m., his phone returns to Moscow. Mm-hmm. and connects to the cellular network near the scene of the murders. It stays there until 921. So he's there about 15 minutes. Okay, I've got a scenario playing out in my head. Before returning to the area of his home in Pullman. This is this is what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. He figures by now mm-hmm. someone's called the cops. Because he's going back he is. to check out the scene and imagine how disappointed he was to see that there was... He must have thought for a moment, wait, did I, did, I, did I not finish the job? Why isn't there cops? There should be cops swarming the place. There's four, what I thought, I left four dead people. On top of it, he, he walked past a girl who saw him. Yeah. She accounts, her account is that I froze yeah. and stopped moving. Do you think he, honestly, do you think he walked by her in the hallway and simply didn't see her because he was so focused on the job at hand? 
part part of me says yes and then part of me is also like I better get out of here while I can she can't tell who I am I've got this mask on and I'm fully in black I'm leaving the scene before she calls 911 part of me thinks maybe he didn't see her well, there's a chance that he didn't see her. Maybe she was, there was a dark doorway. Maybe the doorway wasn't a normal hallway. If you see the inside of this house, we've seen a couple of videos of sort of like overhead artist renderings, mm-hmm. blueprint style. The house is janky. Mm-hmm. Just like normal student housing. Right. It's like it was somebody's old house and they, they added, added on, on to here. this. Uh, yeah. Here's an extra bathroom over here. So there were weird alcovey areas with the, you know, the door over here. So maybe she saw him and he walked right by her in the sense that, he didn't necessarily see her they make it sound like they made eye contact he might not have seen her at all just because she saw him then again maybe he did see her but he was so freaked out by the fact that there she was and he knew that he'd already done this he got to get out of here i got to get i've got to get as far away from this as possible i don't know i heard an interesting thing while he was doing the original four killings Mm -hmm. some of the people who he was murdering were not reacting in the way he fantasized which is typical for a serial killer or someone who does this kind of thing they have fantasies about how this is going to yeah. go some of those people did not react in a way that suited him so when they didn't behave the last two which they think is ethan and Zana, that because there was fighting back because maybe she didn't behave the way because she has so many defensive wounds and things like that she totally put up a fight because she didn't behave the way he fantasized he had to get out of there because it was no longer suiting his fantasy what i had read and through the affidavit was that there was a single blow to the chest that probably killed them almost instantaneously what do you mean that they show with the knife yes that they showed a that. full a full blow to the heart almost area that would have most likely killed them instantly okay i kept thinking how did he get away with murder literally to four people in such a horrific way with nobody waking up so maybe he murdered instantly murdered the person instantly next to him went upstairs murdered murdered and then went back went back i don't know right that's just my speculation because the amount of times that he murdered the two girls in particular mm-hmm. is we know that they were one of them was probably the one that was murdered the 54 stabbings mm-hmm. she's probably the target that being said once he killed them there was not going to be any noise being made there would be nothing for him to react to i think part of it was you come in you got a knife hand over the mouth you're not going to make it you win immediately when you present a knife you don't have to murder me or you know hit me in the chest I'm guessing he did that with Ethan, for sure. Disabled him completely, first thing. Then sliced him up. Maybe. That's what I think. But the girls, forget it. Anytime a dude comes at you with a knife, you don't, there's, what are you going to do? Immediately, you win. You have a knife. Yeah, I don't. I I'm don't a hundred pound woman. What am I going to do? When, when you bring a knife to the fight. Yeah. That is such a personal object. Can you That's even. the part where you know that this was more than just, I want to murder. You know, this was personal. He was angry. He was angry. Mm-hmm. And we look at some of the his profile from before, and he has asked, he did a survey that we know about mm-hmm. in the beginning, like many years ago mm-hmm. for one of his classes that asks criminals yeah. anonymously to answer questions about why they did the crime, what kind of crime it consisted of, what it made them feel like. Everyone has a 
question about that. I think that's probably pretty normal for a criminology student to do in general. Right. But it begs to ask the question, did he use some of that information as part of his toolbox, so to speak, of committing these murders? I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. It's it's very strange. So at 11.58, a 911 call reports an unconscious person at the scene of the killings triggering the response from law enforcement. When you hear this part of the affidavit, Mm. we're all sitting there going, 911 reports an unconscious person. Mm -hmm. There's a huge question about this. Here's what I think happened. The girl who saw him, uh, she's the one who made the 911 call. Mm-hmm. Same girl. They don't name her. They, they don't only give her. her initials. Don't name her. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't need to know. We don't want to know. Uh, we, the poor girl. The poor girl has already no. suffered. She's victim already. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think happened was she's up. She's doing her thing. Doesn't hear from anybody else. Maybe she needs something from some other room. Maybe she's supposed to go study with someone. Who knows? She goes, knocks on the door. No one answers. She knocks even harder. No one answers again. She pops open that door, sees, maybe she doesn't see the blood I'm going to say, though, even if she does see the blood, let's say they're face down. She, her brain can't compute what that is. Yeah. So she's going, oh, well, they, they're unconscious, closes that door, calls the cops and says, you know, there's something wrong. They're, they're unconscious. She's not going to say there's blood everywhere. She's not screaming into the phone. She didn't understand if she saw it, she didn't understand what she saw. We also know that on that 911 call, there were several people who spoke to the 911 operator, not just one person. So she handed that phone off. Yes. And they said, yeah, there's something not right. There's something not right. Right. But, but n- it's still... Oh. It's such a strange detail that makes you... It has nothing to do with the murders. It really doesn't. With this affidavit, you see the detail yeah. in the kind of surveillance, mm-hmm. the kind of... Every the profiling that they did yep. in order to make sure that this was a rock solid situation for them. All the T's were crossed. All the I's were dotted because you only have one chance to arrest this guy. Yes. And if you don't do everything by the book, it's going to get thrown out. And no one wants to be responsible for that, which is why you call in the state police, the FBI, the all the other investigators that they had. They made sure that there was someone looking over the shoulder going... Be sure and say this. So on November 13th is when this this happened. Yep. On November 17th, the student's death are ruled a homicide. Okay. And that's important. Yeah. I mean, not, it was always obviously, but they at first were alluding to the fact, well, I don't know if they, the police were, but speculation was, could this be a murder-suicide? Right. Could this be, yeah. we, we're not sure what, what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Several days after the killings took place, the Idaho coroner revealed the four victims were stabbed to death and their deaths were officially ruled a homicide. Right. Okay. So then you go to November 30th. There's a vigil held for the victims mm-hmm. at the University of, I- of Idaho. Um I think that we at this time are wondering, was Koberger there? (laughs) We know he was still in town, so to speak. Yes. So the chances of him being there, you know he was glued to the television. You know he knew everything that was going on. He went back to the house the day of, the morning of, to see the police scene that wasn't there. He went back at around 9 o'clock. After he went back to Pullman, his area, he goes to the store to go grocery shopping. Yeah, because you need food. He went to the Albertsons. Sure, why not? They show him where he went. He went around mm-hmm. doing his business. He was like, running errands. He was running errands. He was running his Sunday, Sunday morning errands. Sunday morning errand. I got to yeah. get to school on Monday. Monday, got to Well, prep. he did. Yeah. He kept going there. Yeah. He and a one of his friends from school or one of his classmates were hanging out after the murders and they went running together. No. 
after the murders and talking about how unsafe they might be <laughs> in this town. He loved it. He was running and this this person, mm-hmm. I heard him interviewed mm-hmm. talking about how he could not believe that he was running with this man who is now accused of this. He loved he it. He was running with this guy. Yeah. This is another thing I heard on top of that, speaking of, I don't have it in front of me. Right. He was a TA because he was a graduate right. student, right? And we all know that the TAs are the graduate students and that's who you have to go to for some of these classes. One of the students in the lab that he was the TA of said, we all hated him. He was the worst. We complained about him. Right. He would never make eye contact. He would give the worst reviews. Anything you turned in, he would give it a big F with a big red pen. And he'd say horrible things on your paper. Things that were completely unnecessary. After the murders, there was a marked difference in his behavior in that class. Did you hear that I too? Did. Yeah. How creepy is that? That They said suddenly he was like looking at you in the eye and he was kind of smiley before they had a nickname for him it was like eeyore or something like that like he was just the worst always just looking away and always in a bad mood blah blah blah. and then after the murders euphoria happy couldn't be happier suddenly became the best ta on the planet isn't that gross it's disgusting it's so so bad yeah so we know that on december 15th brian koberger heads to pennsylvania where his family lives and where he's from right. to spend the holidays with his family mm-hmm. in body camera footage released in january of 2023 koberger is shown getting pulled over twice in one day while on a cross-country road trip from washington to his home state of pennsylvania in mid-december the footage shows koberger with a passenger as they are stopped in Hancock County, Indiana, on December fifteenth, and a following via and for following a vehicle too closely, Koberger was driving his Hyundai Elantra, and he was released with a verbal warning. And we do know that the passenger in that car was his father. Yeah, his father. People were speculating why did he need his father to come home with him? Blah 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 blah. blah. No, I you know as, I get it. as as a mother of college students who who went to school out of state i can see doing that sure hey, that's Dad, a long drive can you fly out and sure. drive back with me that's that's not suspicious to me at all no the fact that they were pulling him over and he didn't absolutely lose his mind wouldn't you immediately think oh man they got me i've never been pulled over twice in a row for anything me either this guy has been pulled over quite a bit yeah he seems to be a bad driver yeah the three-point turn was our first indication <laughs> and now here we go he's I'm getting sorry. pulled over like how many times yeah just twice within a very short amount of time on this trip alone. You know, it when you hear that his father was with him and you know that he gets arrested now on December 30th, 15 days later, he mm-hmm. gets arrested at the family home. That's right. We know that the FBI had been surveilling the family home for those two weeks before between the time that they, he got there and maybe even before the time that they got there, they'd been looking because they were trying to get DNA evidence from somebody in the home. So they they made themselves look like trash collectors. I love this story I do so much. You and I could totally do this. <laughs> this is where I'm saying. I could totally do this. They went out and they were pretending to be trash men. Collectors, sure. Collectors. And they got DNA evidence when they ran it through the CODA or wherever they ran it through. CODIS. CODIS. Mm-hmm. They found it to be 99.9% a paternal match. Mm-hmm to Brian Koberger's father. Sure. And now. they found that DNA evidence on the knife sheath 
that was left at the crime scene. That's right. Which on is the a, button of the crime scene, uh, of the sheath. Of the sheath, which is such a huge find. Such a huge find. <sighs> now, I, we also have heard speculation that that knife sheath was left there on purpose and that there could be other murders no. where a knife sheath was also found that could maybe link him to that. Okay. Left that's on purpose. Stretch. Like that's his calling card? That's a calling card. No. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. But I do. Do you think that he's murdered before this? No. You don't? Mm-mm. I don't. It's so, um, it is, it does seem like a next step murder. Like this is your first murder. You're taking on four people, one of which is a man. Mm-hmm. It does seem like this is an escalation. I I don't know anything about this or him except for what I'm saying here. And all I can say is this is, there would have been evidence of him doing this elsewhere. He's not smart enough to go outside of his litter box. He stays, <laughs> he stays right there. He's just miles from his home. That's where he's going to commit these murders. He was clearly diving deep into an obsession with one or more of these girls. He wasn't getting what he wanted from them. I think this was a, the first and probably a last. I don't think... I've heard the knife sheath theory that mm-hmm. there's other knife sheaths mm-hmm. from other crimes. I think this was a mistake. I think he wasn't getting what he wanted from the murdering, especially towards the end, and left in haste. Like, they harshed his buzz in a big way. He took his knife and he left and forgot that the sheath uh, was there. There was so, The crime scene was so huge and disorienting, I don't think he, he remembered. Also, tell me if you think this is weird. He didn't walk in with that knife sheath attached to his belt. It's weird. It's just on its own. And so well, he, maybe it was on his belt and with all the fighting. It popped off? Because I don't know maybe. if it looped through it. It could have just affixed, you know, it flips on over pants. to your pant. Maybe. I don't know. I think that's what it is. But it I'm not seemed sure. weird that it wasn't attached to something on his body because that's a mistake. Why bring you, it? What, what are you doing? Why do you need a sheath? Because really without that sheath, I don't know how much DNA they have. They're pointing to that as if it's the only DNA that they have. Probably not. It's probably not, but it's the best DNA that they have. Yes. And then to be rifling through that trash and find a mat there was another possible piece of evidence that was left behind do you remember about 10 days later a a a retired investigator went to the crime scene oh 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 and behind the police tape he sees a black glove yeah and you and i made jokes like oh it's oj's glove right if the glove don't fit so (laughs) we're sitting here going what he points it out to the officer who is making sure that no one comes on scene He's, yeah, and scene. they take it from there. Right. Now, I think it's a long shot that that wasn't recovered. I believe that probably someone threw it there later or it was, maybe there was leaves over it. Who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. ice melted, it's cold there and now they didn't see it at the time. It could be. The chances of there being any usable DNA mm-hmm. after it was in the elements are probably pretty slim to none. Yeah, But if they could find that glove and they checked his home maybe Mm. they found or his car and there was another glove that matched it that's his glove that's his glove Uh, we've never heard any more about that no we have not so that might be something that the police are keeping undercover or it may just be a a wild theory i can't imagine pulling up to that scene with the amount of law enforcement that was handling that scene and one guy just going oh look there's a black glove I, i i found it suspicious and i almost thought maybe he did he make it up? Yeah. 
Did he plant the glove? Because he has his own podcast. Yeah. He's got this whole thing. Yeah. I, I found it odd. It is But odd. I made mention of it just in case no, something no, no. comes of it. You never know. Yeah. So we know that on the 30th, he was um, charged with four counts of first degree murder and felony burglary. Which is interesting to me. And I know they throw everything into, right. the, into the pot. They clean out the fridge and they, they throw it all into, into the pot and make a big soup. They throw everything at it. They... As long as they have proof that there is reason to accuse and charge someone with certain things. What's the felony burglary? What did he take? I he, know. That's what, he had to remove something from that that's house. That's so interesting. What I, did won, he have? I wondered what it was. What did he have? Do you think that he might have taken some sort of trophy yep. per se from one of the victims? I'm guessing because that's what those guys do. They want to relive it. And if I have this t-shirt or if I have a, a maybe a teddy bear, something that was a piece of jewelry. So he took something with him because they would not be able to charge him with felony burglary. Felony burglary is different than just burglary. Correct. So that means there was, it has a monetary value to it that is more so, and I don't know what the number is, but let's just say $500. What did you take? It wasn't an Xbox? Like, what did he take yeah, I don't know. that counts as felony burglary? They haven't said, it's if it's in the affidavit, it's been redacted. Right. So. Right. So on January 2nd, um, Brian Koberger's family breaks her silent in a statement through there. I guarantee you there were signs that this kid was messed up. I, well, the heroin addiction might be number one on my list. I hadn't heard that. But the heroin addiction, we know... We have heard of, and I know people who were addicted to heroin in, in, in a lifetime, yeah. and they didn't commit four heinous no. murders. No, but if this they had- This kid is messed up. If they had, you'd go back to that heroin addiction and go, I knew he was trouble. You know what I yeah. mean? Like that adds to the list. So anyway, go on. The parents. They're, they're basically saying there are no words that can adequately express the sadness that we feel, and we pray each day for each of their families. They yeah. go on to say that we have- fully cooperated with law enforcement agencies in an attempt to seek the truth and promote the and, and to promote the presumption of innocence rather than the judge un, to judge unknown facts and mm -hmm. make erroneous assumptions we respect privacy in this matter um as our family and the family suffering loss can move forward through the legal process. It's that's rough. What else are they supposed to say? Well, they could have not said anything. They could have been total jerks about it. They yeah. could have been like, our son didn't do that. You got the wrong person. Instead, I have to say, hats off to mm -hmm. the parents who are just like, we're sorry. And we're here to support the system. I don't know what else. I mean, right. yeah, there's other things you could say. But as decent humans, yeah. you have to accept your fate, which is that your son is a lunatic. That he is could be a murderer. January 3rd, the Koberger, Brian Koberger waives his uh, right to extradition. So he says, okay, send me back to Idaho. Right. Which I... I don't know why he wouldn't, but um, Koberger on the 4th is transported to Idaho and he has a preliminary hearing was scheduled for January 12th. Mm -hmm. um, on January 5th, probable cause affidavit is released revealing new details about the case, which is what we've been talking about. Right. Um, also, it should be noted that when he appeared January 12th, he did not enter a plea, which is most, not most, it wouldn't be uncommon to enter a plea at that moment. Um, he didn't. I don't know why I find that an interesting and weird detail. Maybe some of our law people who we're friends with could tell us a little bit more about that. But, uh, uh, you know, maybe his attorney was just like, I need more time to get my head around Well, this. his attorney <laughs> is a public defender in Idaho. And yeah. she, it's a woman. Yeah. Don't have her name in front of me. Mm -hmm. It's not really important, but she mm -hmm. is a bulldog. And she is known for getting a lot of criminals 
off cases. Even though she's a public defender. That's her job. That's her job. It would be so hard to be a public defender. It would be so hard to be a defense attorney in general. You're a very specific person when you take that on voluntarily. I'm going to be a public defender. You know, I think the ideal of a public defender is to make sure that nobody innocent goes to jail. I mean, that would be the reason you would go into that. But Mm -hmm. I know public defense, I know defense attorneys, not public defense Mm -hmm. attorneys, but defense attorneys that make, you know, they make it their, their market is the bad guys Mm -hmm. and defending the bad guys, knowing very well that they're probably guilty, but I'm going to see ego gets in front of them. All the defense attorneys that I know are huge egomaniacs (laughs) and completely, (laughs) you know, like, they're not my people. They're, They're not my kind of people as just people in general. Are you going to name names? I'm not. Okay. I'm not. The public but you defender, also know these people. I do. The public defender's office, though, is a, it's a noble position. It is. Because they are there to make sure that their client is fairly treated. Guilty or not, everyone deserves an opportunity be, to be treated fairly and to have the system work for them. Now... If it doesn't work for the lowest amongst us, it doesn't work for anyone. Nobody innocent should ever go to jail, and we know that's not the case. No, of course that's not. But the public defender is there to make sure that you are not just given the gas chamber because it looks good. Or because they need to close this case so that the public feels good. And that is one of those things that a lot of... We've seen that happen Mm -hmm. in small town crimes where these police are under such pressure that they'll do anything yeah. it takes yeah. to make sure somebody goes down for the murder, whether it's the right person or not. That's right. And they truly believe that it is the right person, I think, most of the time. They've put their eggs in all in one basket, and many times they don't go looking elsewhere. And I think right. that's going to be the defense's strategy. You zeroed in on this guy from the beginning because mm-hmm. he happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Just because his car was there, how many other cars are there? There's a lot of other cars that That's could be in there. That's what they're going to say. They are going to say that because it's true. Is he is he going to be, def- is the public defender his yes. person all the way through that? Family's not hiring a defense I attorney? Know. I don't know about that. I don't know. Ooh, well. She's got a, a reputation of knocking it out of the park. I think he's in good hands as far, as, and it's not going to cost him anything And on top of it. He has no money. <sighs> That's what I'm at. That's, I guess that's what I'm asking. He's on his parents' phone plan, just so you know. Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, I know a few kids who are on their parents' I know phone my, plan. Too. My kids, I, I'm just saying, he is still connected to the family and he does not have any money. Mm-hmm. You know, his And da- the family doesn't have money? It doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like On January 10th, a police source tells um, People Magazine or mm-hmm. People Online, mm-hmm. Brian Koberger spoke about Idaho students during his extradition. He said, he's, this is what the police source says. A police source told people that Koberger made small talk with the officers, including making mention of the Idaho students who were killed. He seemed really nervous, a police mm. source who was involved in the process told people. He was narrating to himself everything that was happening. At one point, he was saying something to himself like, I'm fine, it's going to be okay. Like he was reassuring himself that this whole thing was, wasn't so awful. What? What is with? And you you hear this, and I'm, I'm thinking of the movie Seven, which is not based in reality at all. <laughs> but they get the criminal in the back seat of the car, and all of a sudden, you can't shut him up. It doesn't sound like he was oversharing, but 
that's what you're going to go for. You're going to start talking about those four murdered kids as those if poor kids. Oh, this is just a news story that I heard. Isn't it terrible? Well, he did say this. It, it said that he did make an offhand comment about it. And he did say this quote, it really, it's really sad what happened to them, but he didn't say anything more. The source said he's, he's smarter than that. Well, one would hope. One would hope he was I'm not sure if he's that. smarter. I'm than not that. sure that he is. I'm not sure either. But that was that. Did they, it doesn't say. It that was on January 10th. Did they fly him back? They had to. They didn't drive him back. They didn't say. That's a good question. Because this is this is Idaho police. Do they have a plane? I <laughs> I would imagine the FBI has a plane. But it doesn't say that the FBI they they were not in charge of the scene. They didn't arrest him. It was Idaho police that went out and arrested him. Ooh, what if that was a drive? What if they had to drive him back? They don't say that. Oh. I bet you they flew him. I, bet I you hope they, they did. Him. I hope they did. Okay, so um, moving forward to the eighteenth. Um, they did seize some uh, evidence from mm-hmm. Koberger's residence. Yep. Uh, it's the one search... disposable black glove is written on there. It says that the search warrant records are unsealed. Okay, so we can see the details of what they took from his residence after he was arrested. Okay, among those things, what did you say stuck out? One disposable <laughs> black glove. Now, in the little rumor that we heard from our friend, the podcast Didn't sound like a disposable glove. I didn't think it did either, but he didn't say. No, he didn't. Okay. So they found one disposable black glove, receipts from Walmart and Marshalls, a dust container vacuum, possible hair strands, a one fire... Oh, I'm sorry, not A, but just one fire TV stick, a possible animal hair strand, a computer tower, and an item with red dark red spots two pieces of an uncased pillow with a reddish brown stain reddish brown stain and mattress covers when you start getting into bedding i i have to quit i have to I mean, leave i mean yeah well and you talked about pet a pet hair it could have been the dog it could have been the dog and yeah. and we should mention that maddie had a dog yeah. who was unharmed this dog was not harmed. I no. assume the dog was not anywhere in the house. No, the dog was in the house. No, I mean anywhere near the victims. I don't think oh. that he was in the rooms at the time. He. What makes you think that? Because he wasn't barking his head off during the time that this is happening. I'm assuming an animal, my animals, if somebody was hurting me, they would be barking at a stranger coming in and doing that to me. Well, that's one of the other possible, that's what some of the online sleuths are saying, that the dog was there and why didn't the dog bark? Because he knew brian we know the dog was not harmed Mm -hmm. we're not i'm not sure we just assume the dog was in the room my as a pet owner a dog owner Mm -hmm. i don't think the dog was in the room there's no mention in this affidavit about the dog itself murphy is his name murphy murphy having blood all over him walking through and tracking blood around the house they don't mention that which as a dog owner that's definitely what would have happened well with the amount of blood that was found at the scene yeah if the dog was in a small room with the victims the dog would have been barking horrendously i have to go back to i have to go back to oj and nicole brown simpson and that akita Mm -hmm. who was moaning at the i mean howling so much that the neighbors were like what is going on with nicole's dog and the akita was sitting there in front of the bodies because that's that's your job as the dog so i think you're right your people are murdered yeah dogs sense energy they Mm -hmm. sense evil Mm -hmm. they sense things that will that haven't even happened right they know they know they they know know earthquakes are coming they have this sixth sense yeah they have these abilities so I don't believe the dog was in there, but that's just my speculation. No, I think you're right. I think that you're was right. just my speculation. But they found pet hair. Could have been 
the Coburgers animals that they found. Did he have any? I don't know. They doesn't say. I'm just saying they said that they got a pet piece of pet hair. They have to take every single thing they could possibly find from that yeah. house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The search warrant. The funny thing about search warrants, though, that I didn't know for a very long time is it's not just like the search warrant says we can go into Brian Koberger's house and take whatever we want. They have to be real specific and they can't take anything that's not on the warrant. So the judge has to sign the warrant that says you can take anything that has blood on it. You can take if you find women's jewelry. It has to be very specific as to what they can take. They don't just get free range in that house. I know. I It drives me crazy. I know. It's like, just take everything. Seal the whole thing. The whole thing's evidence now. To me, if <laughs> you, know? you have this horrific of a murder, mm-hmm. we followed him to Pennsylvania, all the way mm-hmm. across country. Yeah. We're taking this. We don't know what we might find. It's just it. The good news is, though, he can't get back into the apartment. So they can execute another search warrant. Right. For the entire thing. For the entire now thing. That, now that there is probable cause, yeah, real probable cause, right. more than just we, we speculate think. or we think. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that they are throwing out there as speculation yes. is that there could be some sort of, not relationship, but some kind of correlation between mm-hmm. BTK. No, Dennis Rader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Brian Koberger. Like Brian Koberger was a fan or like he knows him? Well, a serial killer expert who taught the man accused of killing the four University of Idaho students told oh. Newsweek she's not making any statements to the media at this time, but he took classes from her. Oh, Koberger did? Yes, okay. at the university where he's studying criminology this is so unfortunate because those are the classes you take when you're studying criminology so yeah go ahead so he graduated from northampton college community college in pennsylvania with associated degree in psychology then he's going on and on and he's going to desalles university where he um, was taught by Catherine ramsland okay who is a renowned forensic psychologist who also authored dozens of books including how to catch a killer and the mind of a murderer. I've heard of both of those books. I know you have. I've She's never read them. World renowned. Okay. She's world renowned. She's pretty smart. Yeah. So now Carrie Rons- Ronson, who is Dennis Raiders. Raiders' daughter. Oh, her. Oh, she's so sad. She's the daughter of the BK, BTK. BTK killer, mm-hmm. Dennis Raider, tweeted after it was reported that Koberger was thought, was taught by Ramsland, that Ramsland has or did have have a close academic relationship and friendship with her father so ramslin who taught oh koberger koberger has a relationship with with dennis rader ronson said she thinks that koberger's studies may have led him to make contact with her father okay so we i they, get it they think that koberger has reached out to her father to be to dennis rader that's what they think like, do you think he was like, hey, I'm taking this class. I was really, I love your work. I'd like to talk to you more about it. She says thing. this, I have ongoing concerns knowing how common it is for criminology students, true crime fans, and others to correspond regularly with my father. Uh, it would make sense. You're it copying. Would, yeah. But at the same time, a lot of murders resemble each other. Well, sure, they're murders. I mean, they're murders. They There's, they they're called murders. Bottom line. Yeah. It is interesting though that she that the daughter is is in the mix. She is anytime you have an opportunity to hear her talk, mm-hmm. read her books. Maybe she's on a podcast. Mm-hmm. I think she had one for a while. Uh, 
wow, she is a rock star and truly, truly making lemonade out of lemons. She, people were contacting her anyway, and she's like, you know what? Here we go. It's like, you know, it's like the Golden State Killer. Mm-hmm. He had a wife and two daughters. Right. Immediately, people started trying to figure out who they were, what they, blah, blah, blah. Leave them alone. This he, girl sort of leaned into it and said, well, they're going to be doing it anyway. She has a voice, and she's actually really great at what she does, trying to give a voice to the voiceless, the victims, all the stuff. So anyway, she's, give. what's her name again? Give her a shout out. Her name is Carrie Ron, Ronson, and she's the daughter of, of the Dennis BTK. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and if you if you look on her, she's on Twitter. Mm-hmm. She's on all the platforms. Mm-hmm. She has a voice. Mm-hmm. You, you just Google her, and there's a little snippet about her. She's written books, like you said. I think, you know, it's... It's worth looking at. What would you like to see happen? I would like to see him admit he did it for the notoriety. That would be the best thing possible yep. for everybody. It would yep. save money and time. Mm-hmm. We would get answers because, like you said, a lot of these people, BTK, the Golden State serial killer, all of these people, they started talking once they got caught. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now he's caught. He didn't have the, you know, the notoriety that the rest of them did. What does he have to lose? He's going to go to jail Mm -hmm. unless he thinks he can get off this, which he might. He Mm -hmm. might believe that he can get off of this. But so what I would like to see happen is that he admits it and we get all the answers. I think what will happen is he's going to say he's innocent and we're going to go through an entire trial because I think he wants notoriety and I think he likes the all the, the things on him. And the idea of getting off makes him feel like he's smart. He can prove how smart he is. I'm going to agree and disagree just a little bit with you. Mm -hmm. I can see this is just I'm grabbing things out of the Mm -hmm. out of the ether. I can see him admitting to it and talking about it at length because he wants credit for the crime. I don't think he will ever plead innocent plead not guilty say I didn't do it say I wasn't there because he wants credit for what he did he thinks it's great he thinks he he organized it he did all the surveillance he pinpointed a victim he's in his mind he's akin to one of those FBI agents like he really put together something fantastic and in the end did exactly what he wanted to do I think he wants all the credit for it he will never plead not guilty ever my fear though is because we sensationalize this so much mm-hmm. and we make this such a big deal that just perpetuates more cuckoos yeah. doing the same crap and trying to get away with murder and becoming notorious. There's arguments to both sides of I that. Know. I mean, there's no, there's not going to be any one right way to do it. But, you know, the whole perp walk with mm-hmm. the jumpsuit on and mm-hmm. the, the, the we got our legs and our arms shackled, there's, they love that. I wish they didn't put a belt bulletproof vest on them. They have to, though. I know. They have to protect him. Why? Because he has rights. He's only, he's innocent. I know. Until. Proven guilty. Thank you very much. <laughs> so um, there was some last things that the that the People magazine or the People online article had to say, and I appreciated this a lot. So I got to give them credit. Mm-hmm. Still, the questions remain, and they have five questions, six questions. The questions are, it's not clear why the unharmed roommate did not immediately call 911 or why those other two roommates were spared. Right. I don't I don't want to victim blame that, that poor Me girl. Either. I'm not interested. Whatever her reasons are, those are her reasons. I am interested to know, though, why the other two were spared. They were right there. 
So that's a question for him, for him, not for anybody else. Uh, motive for the crime remains a mystery. Police have said that they're still looking for the knife. They haven't found the knife. That was at least as of this recording. They still didn't have the mm-hmm. knife, which would be interesting. Where is it? Did he did he drop it in one of the many lakes and rivers up there in right. Idaho? In that case, I mean, who's to say? Well, they would know. Literally, and they can, they can track every single bit of his of his movement from the time that it happened because his cell phone it will be pinging all over the place. Yeah, but the problem is, what if he dumped it in the Albertsons dumpster? Right, that's what I was saying. <laughs> you know, he was there buying whatever groceries he needed on a Sunday night and he just tossed it. You know, there's a million places it could be. He could literally toss it in the trash can as he's walking into the thing in a paper bag. Completely, which it, that's what I would do if I was a criminal, yeah. you know. Um, documents released shed no light on whether Koberger had any other reason to be in that area at the time of the killing. So they, there's like, why were you here? That's continues to be the question. If you weren't there to just kill them, why wasn't Koberger arrested until more than six weeks after the victims were found dead? I don't know that that's still a viable question. I, I get it. Again, six weeks, that's nothing. It's pretty good. That is really, really, uh, really I'm good. pretty impressed. Me too. But it wasn't night of. Come on. That's just, I mean, I think people, this is online sleuth talk. I think people are like, well, why do you? No, please. If you, if you really look at murders, BTK, the Golden State, all of the years and years and years and years, (laughs) decades, come on. Yeah. Give them a break. Uh, Authorities have not said publicly whether Koberger knew any of the victims. So that's still up for speculation. Um, Speculation by us. They know. They're just not releasing it. So there you go. Yeah, those are the questions that still remain. So it's it's a heavy it's a heavy lift to listen to this. I know, but we're glad you did. We're glad that you stayed with us. Um, we love true crime, and we know that you do too. Go ahead and log on to our Instagram and uh, give us a give us a like and give us a few comments. If you liked this particular podcast, be sure and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcast, Amazon. We're on all the platforms, and we would love to see your five-star review. If you've got a three-star review, you can take that over to another <laughs> another podcast and give it to them. We're only interested in five stars. <laughs> go, go. Oh, no. Just threw her under the bus. All right. We are Two Average Girls. I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. We'll see you next time. Episodes of Two Average Girls are free wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button on the Two Average Girls main page so you never have to go searching for new episodes. Our editor is Aiden Bloomstein. Our social media producer is Samantha Stone. And original music for Two Average Girls is by Jason Fries. <laughs>